I mean, do you foresee if a realistic future where most companies are significantly more than right now are, are getting on the sustainable bandwagon? Do you, is that the way you see things heading? Uh, I wish I could say yes. Um, I, I think that there'll always, there'll always be a customer that, um, you know, really all they care about is the bottom line is, is, you know, buying a, uh, a product that, you know, is, is budget friendly and, you know, without getting, you know, too into the nitty gritty of, of politics or, you know, economies and stuff, you know, there's, there's a lot of poverty and, you know, not everybody has the, you have to, the way the world is right now, you have to have a decent amount of expendable income to be able to monetarily care about the environment. Um, I hate to be a pessimist, but I don't think it'll ever be the majority of customers that care about this stuff. I think it'll, it'll always be a growing niche. Stark realities, tempering expectations. Should optimism and expectance of a totally sustainable future in fashion and luxury come with an asterisk? One that denotes we may never get there in part because enough minds just may never change. This and more on the last planned installment for now in our mini-series, Sustainable Fashion, What You Need to Know. You're listening to the Diamond Disruptor Podcast. People that haven't heard about lab-grown diamonds or really don't know what they are, are are really stuck in an old mindset. And and you know what? This is one of those product categories where monthly the yes. numbers are changing. Laboratory-grown diamond or a created diamond is uh, chemically, physically, optically, atomically the same as the diamond mined from the earth. I'm Ryan Light. I'm the uh, CEO of Pistol Lake. Well, hello, Ryan. Thank hey. you for coming. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I know it's a weird. We're outside right now, <laughs> avoiding. There's there's not a lot of people to avoid necessarily, but trying to play it safe. And how has COVID lockdown been for you guys? Like, can you can you walk me through a typical day of how things have changed? Yeah, I mean it's it's been a wild ride, and it's changed a lot from when you know this whole thing first started in March to even now. Like. When, when everything, you know, locked down in March and, and, you know, the governor and the mayor were closed everything, we didn't know whether we were going to be able to stay in business. We didn't know whether we were going to be able to continue shipping. Um, so we did something kind of unusual and we asked our customers like, hey guys, if, if you've ever kind of had your eye on something in the Pistol Lake shop, now would be a really rad time to kind of support us. And um, we gave an optional sale because, um, you know, we didn't know whether we would be manufacturing. We didn't know if we could ship. Uh, we did a month's worth of sales in a weekend. And um, our, our customers really stepped up for us. Uh, so that kind of gave us some, some runway in case, you know, uh, in case everything got shut down. Hello, and welcome back to the Diamond Disruptor podcast. Thanks for joining us. That's Ryan Light you just heard. He's the CEO of Pistol Lake Sustainable Menswear based out of Venice, California, and he's who you heard in the clip at the top of the show. Ryan and I recently sat down for a socially distanced chat outside Phase 2, my co-working space in Los Angeles, California, where I produce this show. I think my talk with Ryan here is really the perfect last episode of our mini-series on sustainable fashion. Last for now. There might be more down the line, as we believe this to be an important continuing look at sustainable fashion. And we bring you this talk with Ryan as the world has wrapped up Fashion Week and Month events for February. 
During a time, of course, when events of all kinds are forced into socially distanced and or virtual compromised versions of their usual iterations due to the continuing lockdowns around the world. As I've pointed out in the previous two episodes of this series, this is a time when we've been forced to pause our normal commuting, consuming, and polluting activities to a degree and really examine what we're doing to the planet. I'm going to tell you right now in brief of who Pistol Lake Sustainable Menswear are just to give Ryan and the brand a proper introduction because we're going to do something a little different with this episode. I mentioned that I think this is the perfect episode to end on for now, and here's the reason. Ryan Light, I feel I can say from talking to so many people now in sustainable fashion for research on the series, he's perhaps the most brutally honest and realistic person I've spoken to on the topic of sustainable fashion and what the future may hold for it. I'm going to interject only minimally with further narration, as I feel this talk Ryan and I had really guides itself well. I think if you're someone who is listening with any curiosity at all and support for sustainable interest for our planet, you'll want to hear nearly all of what Ryan has to say. I feel it's important. So before we dive back in, here's some brief background on Pistol Lake Sustainable Menswear. Ryan Light is CEO and William Selinski is the founder and VP of product. And here's some key info taken almost verbatim from the well-written About Us section of their site at PistolLake.com. That's P-I-S-T-O-L-L-A-K-E.com. Pistol Lake, all one word. Check them out. They ship worldwide. Pistol Lake started as a group of friends in Venice, California, who wanted to bring back the level of craftsmanship that for so long defined American manufacturing. We strive for perfection in everything we make. We started with organic cotton, nailed the cut and fit, but we wanted to make more. We spent two years and hundreds of iterations to come up with the perfect performance fabric made from recycled water bottles and eucalyptus. And we'll cover all that and more in our talk here. Touching on topics like maintaining fan support for a small, sustainable brand by communicating with your customers on platforms like Kickstarter and Reddit. We touch on greenwashing. And as you heard in that clip at the top of the show, perhaps some of the most honest assessment in our industry of what we might realistically expect and our hopes for the greater masses to adopt a sustainable mindset. Did, did you see it coming? I mean, it's like, what was your, do you even recall? It's hard to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like in the, in the month before they really kind of officially locked things down, like there were the warning signs, like, did you guys have to do anything last minute to kind of, uh, I mean, we, we kind of, we maybe overestimated, um, you know, the effectiveness of local and federal government. We, we thought that, you know, the lockdowns would, would be short and, you know, we definitely didn't see this coming, you know, you know, that life is still like this. But you guys um, do all your manufacturing in house, right? You, yeah. You guys are all in one facility. Yeah. It's everything's done down in garden Grove. And so, you know, whatever the, whatever California says is, yeah. is what we have to follow. Normally we have 24, uh, sewers at the factory. And, um, one of the first things we did, um, first of all, the factory got shut down. Um, every, every factory did. And, um, so we kind of scrambled because we saw that, um, 
you know, there was all these uh, shortages in PPE. And, you know, we have a factory where we, we have skilled labor that could help with that. And so um, that actually allowed us to keep the factory open uh, because we were making PPE. And uh, normally we have 24 um, people working at the factory and we cut that down to six so that we could have adequate distance between them. You know, we brought in all the, the hand sanitizer. Uh, we, have, we have the place sanitized once a week now. So, you know, it's there was some added expense and things are going a little bit slower, but we were able to stay open. Uh, you know, other than those first two days, we were, we've been able to stay open and, and manufacturing this whole time, which has been kind of a, you know, a, a pleasant surprise. Well, there was a recent New York Times article I read, which in part profiled a sustainable loungewear brand. And it, so, in, in you know, one thing it touched on was that guy, the guy it talked about was in, uh, you know, bigger name fashion, I think, before in traditional brick and mortar retail. And they were saying that lockdown seemed to help their his new company's sales, which are all online, since people were forced into working from home. I mean, we we were already seeing the trend we were already seeing the trends before moving into loungewear. Did you guys like did you did you look at lockdown and go, well, I got I'm glad we were doing loungewear already. Like <laughs> did you see like a spike in sales too from people having to stay home and whatnot or Yeah, absolutely. Like it this is I mean, you, you hate to be the company that's benefiting when so many people are, are you know, having a rough time. Companies are going under and stuff. But this has kind of been a perfect storm to benefit a company like ours. And, you know, one of the, the reasons you touched on, you know, this is kind of we make really comfortable clothes that feel like PJs, but look good on a Zoom call. Right. Um, you know, everything that we make is is kind of made um, with comfort in mind. And so working from home is just kind of perfect for our gear. And then, um, you know, we, we manufacture and source everything in the U.S. And a lot of folks that didn't used to care about, you know, supply chain or where things came from suddenly were, you know, thinking about, you know, is this manufactured in China? Because uh, China has kind of been cast as the boogeyman for right or wrong in this whole thing. Um, so a lot of new customers um, care more about the made in America thing and supporting American businesses and making sure that they stay open and all this. Then, uh, you know, a lot of companies, brick and mortars have been forced to close. People don't feel comfortable going out into the world and, and you know, buying things and trying things on. So that's brought an, a whole new level of e-commerce customer to us that, you know, maybe previously didn't feel comfortable buying clothes without trying them on first. What do you think the challenges are like? Do you think it's impossible to hold right now anyway to hold other countries to the same sort of environmentally responsible standards or and do you think that'll change in the future? Uh, I, don't, I don't think anything's impossible, but it's definitely tough. You know, the, the company has always kind of believed that, you know, U.S. manufacturing has, uh, you know, that, that so much manufacturing has gone overseas is a bummer. And we understand it. It's, it's more expensive to, uh, to manufacture here. Our stuff costs more than something you might grab at, at Target or a Walmart that's, that's made in a country where they, you know, pay somebody $13 a month. Um, but we have a, a set of customers that appreciate that and and are okay with with spending more for having you know in a you know an ethical place for people to to work where you know all of our people who work in our factory get get paid more than minimum wage they all have health care uh, which is kind of un unheard of in apparel and you know it does it does cause us to have to charge more for our stuff but um, it seems to be that the the world is moving in a direction where they care less about just what something costs and, and kind of more about what it stands for. And, you know, at any point in time, I can drop into our factory, I can drop into our, our fabric partner and make sure that they're doing what they say they're, 
they're they're supposed to be doing and um that would be a little bit trickier if if you know there was a 16 hour flight <laughs> involved yeah. in that yeah and walk me through uh like in particular you guys tout uh u day am mm-hmm. i saying that right you are e-u-d-a-e as a method of manufacturing clothes and i understand that involves making your clothes from recycled water bottles and, and eucalyptus uh so is that is that how you guys make everything now? And and if not, I mean, either way, like, can you just walk me through the steps you guys take to ensure your stuff's sustainable? Yeah. Um, so so Uday is a proprietary fabric that we invented in 2016, and um, we about two thirds of our sales um, are are things made out of Uday. We also uh, sell cotton, organic cotton, organic French terry, and some other stuff like that. Um, but Uday is kind of what I'm excited about and it's, it's kind of our bread and butter product. And essentially without getting too nerdy on you, um, <laughs> basically we, we buy, uh, big, um, vacuum sealed bags of chipped water bottles. Like you have a water bottle sitting right in here in front yeah, of you. I'll, I'll give it to you if I finish the water. <laughs> you guys can. Yeah. We'll bring yeah. you back a shirt in a little bit. Um, so essentially we buy just, and I, re- I refill them just to let everyone know. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so we buy a graded, um, so water bottles get all different grades. Like, so they, you know, some of them get really banged up. They're in the back of somebody's truck for a while, or, you know, they were at a festival and and they're all dirty and gross. Um, the ones that are the easiest to, to work with later on are the A grades. And so essentially what they do is they take the cap off, they, they take the little ring off, they take all of the, uh, the labels off, and then they throw it into what looks like a, a big wood, wood chipper, if you're a Fargo fan. And um, <laughs> then they turn those into tiny little pellets, which later get melted down. And you know, tons of clothing is already made out of polyester. And typically it's made out of virgin polyester. This is just a different way to get that polyester. And it's by, you know, we we buy these water bottles instead of virgin polyester to try and divert some of these water bottles from ending up in a landfill or in a waterway or, you know, in, in the ocean. And so then, uh, we mix it with a, um, so you get, you guys literally get water bottles in one piece. Uh, no, or we do buy they come them, to you? they're already chipped. Okay. So they're, they're, in, Oh, you said, yeah. Yeah. They're in big Ziploc bags basically that are, that are vacuum sealed. And then we, uh, we take those to our fabric manufacturer and they mix it with the tensile, which is the, uh, which is made with eucalyptus pulp. And then they mix it with a little bit of spandex and that kind of gives the, the shirt, the shirts a little bit of stretch. And the result from it is, uh, a shirt that kind of has all the bells and whistles of like a, a Nike dry fit. You know, it, it wicks sweat. It, it doesn't stink because the, um, the eucalyptus has nat- natural antimicrobial properties. And then, you know, it's comfortable and soft, but it feels, you know, like a, like a t-shirt that you bought at a thrift store and have washed like, you know, a hundred times. And, uh, instead of looking like a gym shirt, um, it just looks like regular clothes. So it's given us the ability to kind of, you know, give technical aspects and kind of supercharge underwear, t-shirts, uh, you know, joggers, all that stuff for guys to not have to worry about, you know, what is their day going to throw at them? Like their clothes are, are ready for a hike or a happy hour. I saw a little talk of yours online and I thought it was interesting that uh, you often launch new projects on Kickstarter. So I, w- I want to know more about that. That seems pretty unique to me. What, like, what are the risk rewards for that? And how, how did you think it, to go about things that way? Uh, I mean, we, we'll do our more ambitious projects on Kickstarter. Like a big part of our ethos is to, you know, 
cut waste any way that we can, both financial and, um, and, you know, environmental. And, you know, we're such a small company that if we were to, you know, go out and, and spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or $50,000 developing a product that nobody wanted, um, that could be ruinous for us, particularly these days. Um, so where Kickstarter came in is, you know, we already have our fan base and, um, we'll occasionally do a, like a pre-sale if there's a new color or a, a slight design change to something to make sure that there's um, demand there before we go and sink a bunch of resources into something. And um, But if something like uh, the shorts that I'm wearing right now are, are all around shorts. They're the most recent um, Kickstarter thing that we did. We had never made them before. It was a new pattern, a new fabric. Uh, we weren't sure if if there was demand there for it. And, um, you know, there was a significant R and D cost that goes into, um, making a new product as ambitious as, as a pair of shorts, um, of this level. And so we took it to Kickstarter first and it, it kind of builds some hype and, um, you know, we can tell whether our customers want it or not. And it gets us some new user acquisition. You know, some people just love to go on Kickstarter and see what the new stuff is. And so the idea behind it is, you know, just to minimize any kind of waste and mitigate risk, um, you know, because if, if, if we didn't sell these things and I, you know, I put out $50,000 to develop a new product, uh, I might be looking for a new job. Yeah. And so could all of my team members. And then will they get the shorts in that in that instance, like before anyone else? And exactly. It kind of works as like a feedback. Mm hmm thing to you and they get them for they get them for a better price than than once they actually get you know we want to support those guys for supporting us you know because they they helped us out early on and it kind of turns into a a whole you you said it perfectly it it turns into a whole feedback loop we use we have our own subreddit uh that's really active it has about five thousand members and so before we made the shorts uh i went on reddit and was like hey we're thinking about making these shorts um, here's what they would look like. We had like a crude drawing of them, um, and compared them to, you know, a couple of other shorts that were out in the market. Is this something you guys would want? Uh, you know, we got some good feedback there. We put out the Kickstarter, uh, it met its goal in, in under an hour. Um, so that we had some, uh, some really good feedback there that, that we were on the right track there. And once we got, got it out into, uh, to the, the, the backers and then to regular folks. Um, they gave us a bunch of feedback both on email and, um, and on Reddit. And we just launched our V2 of the all around shorts, I think two weeks ago. So we're constantly trying to iterate and make the best product that we possibly can. And our customers are really helpful in that. And Kickstarter is a great tool for us, uh, to make sure that we don't spend money on the wrong things. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I think it's a really cool approach. Well, let's make sure we even just get in like your guys's basic bio too. So you have like a co-founder that grew up in Maine, right? Mm-hmm. And where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Escondido slash Texas. Okay. So you got, I mean, I'm assuming both of you had inspirations in your early lives of, of being into nature. And I mean, what, what led you to, are there specific memories you have as a child or when did it kind of, when did the seeds start to sort of grow in your head to, that you wanted to not only start a clothing brand, but go totally sustainable with it? Yeah, I mean that's uh, credit is all there to uh, William Selinsky, our our founder, who's now our VP of product, and uh, he grew up in rural Maine. And Pistol Lake was is the name of the lake that he went to all the time to. Which sounds like it should be in Texas. Yeah, it really like. does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he would go there to to camp and fish and hike with his family, and that was kind of the the place where he always felt the most comfortable uh, in the outdoors. 
And um, so he's a he's a big workout guy. He's in great shape. Um, you know, he's always outdoors. He's always hiking and camping. And so he saw he didn't see a product in the market that was exactly what he wanted. And his his family, uh, they had a they made shoes all throughout his his childhood. Maine used to be and still is to to a lesser extent, like a, a manufacturing hub for for high quality shoes. So. Um, it was it was William's vision to you know build uh, build the product here in the U.S. Uh, make it out of sustainable materials and make something that you could feel as comfortable in the gym uh, as the off or an office or you know in nature. And he just didn't see another company making that. And you guys are all men's, right? Yeah, we're all men. Yeah, because I think a lot of I mean a lot of them target women specifically or, or have some men's, but that seems unique too maybe yeah. yeah uh we one of our kickstarters uh before my time at the company we did make some women's clothes and um it be- became clear pretty quickly that uh we should stick to what we know we got some feedback um you know from some women that had uh that, you know it, it it felt like a man had designed uh <laughs> the product and yeah we, yeah you're right a man designed that product right so um you know, we we're, we're sticking to the men's stuff because it's 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 what we know, and we would be a little bit different company, and we would have to have more resources. You know, both from a personnel and monetary perspective, um, to to make a women's line as well. So maybe well, and with all credit to women, obviously, I mean, I, w- I would peg girls and you know as being a, the m- most uh, and a, a really immediately receptive demographic to sustainable change and everything. Like who who do you think your customer base is? If you had to sort of sum them up, like have you perceived any reluctance to ad- adopt sustainable clothing? Do you guys get any kind of... We really haven't had any reluctance uh, about the sustainable stuff. Um, but we have noticed, this, you know, some people care, some people don't. Um, and people buy us for a whole bunch of different reasons. And sometimes they're not the reasons that we set out for. And sometimes they're not even reasons that we knew or thought about. And um, one interesting kind of story there is we didn't... None of us at the company are vegan. Um, but unbeknownst to us, um, we've become really popular in, in kind of vegan circles because our mid-weight uh, Uday fabric is a really good um, vegan alternative to merino wool. Uh, merino wool is a great product, um, but obviously you, wool comes from sheep. So if, if you don't want to have any kind of animal products on your body, um, you know, you need an alternative to that. So uh, our mid-weight Uday does, you know, almost all of the things that a merino wool does, but, you know, doesn't involve animals in any way, so anyone can wear it. Oh, great. Um, but at, on, on, to kind of expand on, on your initial question, um, you know, it's, pe- people buy our stuff for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, sustainability is one of them, kind of for, for kind of one of our personas or one of our type of customers. You know, some people buy us because uh, they, they like the made-in-USA some people are kind of appealed, uh, you know, the, the appeal is, you know, designed in Los Angeles. And the Made in USA guys and the designed in Los Angeles guys might not have the best time having a beer together, but they both find some kind of common ground in our product. And uh, the, the sustainable stuff seems to be more of a, a talking point for or, you know, something to push somebody over the edge to make a purchase over just, you know, a T-shirt that they might find at a department store. Um Versus the only thing that people are looking for whenever they come for for our products. So, from the research I've kind of started to do on top on things like that, I've seen that companies. I, I just wanted to talk to you about like greenwashing, yeah, and dead stock. So, I mean, maybe starting with dead stock. My understanding is that some companies will tout their use of dead stock in a way that's kind of 
misleading as to how sustainable they actually are. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Greenwashing is um, greenwashing is definitely you know rampant, and um, I try to find a positive in just about anything I can. Uh, basically, it just means that a, a company is either you know making something up about their their product or you know offering or fabric in our case um, being sustainable or environmentally friendly um, whenever they're either it either isn't or they're overstating it or they're kind of you know playing the the shell game and and kind of like shuffling words around to make uh, to make the customer confused into thinking that they're doing something responsible for the planet or you know something good whenever really it's just kind of like some slick marketing uh, that's my understanding of it yeah well so like when you guys start your operation is there any is there any sort of like is there a governing body that you have to prove that you're being sustainable to to make yeah. i mean i know the ftc is obviously involved but how does that work there's really not which is which is why you know greenwashing is is a bit of a problem um you know that there are some positives to it and hear me out here before before you start uh you know groaning um that companies that big companies uh you know care enough about environmental issues and about being sustainable enough that they you know will will do something you know kind of shady for like like uh greenwashing or you know just that they're that that the market has moved and the consumers have moved to caring about this stuff is a good sign in my opinion and you know the big dollars can help educate the the, the public about how you know buying sustainable things can help really helps me as a, as a business and as an entrepreneur, because we're a small company with barely any money. We don't have the resources to educate the customer, uh, you know, the mass, mass audience about why this is important. And the, the, the sustainable and environmental movement is bigger than just Pistol Lake. Um, you know, it, it matters for the future of our company and the, the future generations of people. So, even though there's some negativity around greenwashing, that the dollars are being spent educating consumers, I see as a net positive. But let's get back to the greenwashing thing. That's it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the the market has moved faster than the legislation, uh, which you know it happens in tech all the time. It, it's it's happening in in kind of sustainability right now. Um, you know, there are certifications that you can get for for being organic or for you know using recycled materials. And from what I've, from what I've seen, customers aren't educated enough to know to look for that or to know to really care. Um, so I guess my advice to answer your question would be, uh, you know, become an educated consumer, um, figure out what terms can be kind of like flipped on their head to kind of, um, you know, kind of tout something that they maybe really aren't, um, you know, use tools like, you know, obviously Google and Reddit has a lot of really good environmental tools, um, uh, male fashion advice on, on Reddit has a lot of good stuff about, you know, which companies actually practice what they preach and which ones are kind of, you know, uh, playing up what they, what they do when maybe the, what they're doing is a little bit lesser. Um, and, you know, at, at some point there'll be a, you know, there'll be a Google or, you know, whatever the, the, the main resource is for checking on companies, um, you know that that their claims are actually what they are, but we're the the market seems to be moving a little bit faster than that right now. I know the FT, FTC steps in somewhere along the line because I mean we Larkin Berry, so we do you know total totally sustainable diamonds and gemstones. Everything's uh, cultured, lab mm-hmm. created, and you know we've had people that we suspect 
you know, have interests in kind of continuing to prop up the mine diamond companies and, and that way of doing things it, like alerting the FTC to us. Like we've never hid. And, and as you guys don't either, not only are we not hiding the fact that everything is, is made in labs, but that's, I mean, half of what we're doing is educating people on the benefits of, of the sustainable way of, of making gemstones. And so on the consumer end, you know, I, I'm sure you would agree that it's not that people don't, that people that just buy fast fashion or buy whatever from, from major department stores, uh, it's not that they don't care about the environment or anything. They might just be unaware. Yeah. That's or, totally. but if, so if you had to tell, like, what, what's, what do you, what do you think are the most effective, you know, sort of bullet points and, and trying to explain the benefits of sustainable fashion to people? Uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but get, telling some like kind of, you know, dark stories of, of things that have happened, you know, just as, as recently as 10 years ago, uh, you know, with the factory collapse that killed over a thousand people, that kind of, if somebody is going to care, the learning information about that is going to open their eyes a little bit about, you know, the, the choices that they make with their wallet sometimes have, you know, have consequences half a world away. Uh, I think you nailed it on the head. Like it's not that the people are, you know, buy a t-shirt from, from Walmart and they're just giving a middle finger to the earth. They're just like, I need a shirt. I like this shirt. Right. This one fits within the budget that I had set aside to buy a shirt. Uh, done deal. And so I think it's a, an, it's an education piece across the board and which is, kind of why it's it's the only reason why you know to kind of go jump a topic back why i think that you know there there are some benefits from you know that that come out of big companies you know spending their their dollars educating the consumer because little startups like us uh if it was up to us we just don't have the resources and budget and you know the the customer just may be blissfully unaware yeah i mean do you does it bother you that people don't care uh i don't I, I, it doesn't bother me. Um, I wish they would, but you know, I, I can't get in on, get on anyone's case or, you know, have it, have it bother me that, that somebody is, is ignorant about a topic. And I don't mean ignorant uh, in a, in an insult way in, in any sense. They just, if you, if you aren't aware, you can't care. Um, and you know, if, if the, if the world hasn't, you know, spread education enough for the consumer or, you know, an individual to care, um, you know, it's that they're not going to just, you know, start Googling around on these things on, on their own. Um, you know, the information has to spread in some way, which is why I see, you know, the, the world is completely different as far as it, it goes with sustainable fashion since 2011, when, when Pistol Lake started, like, uh, you know, giant companies are, you know, jumping on this, um, Lots of companies are, you know, replacing their entire lines with, with organic fabrics instead of regular fabrics or with all recycled, reclaimed stuff or even dead stock stuff. And I didn't think that I would see that happen so quickly. Just in the course of nine years, it's, it's night and day. So that's, that's promising to me. And even, you know, I'll talk to random people. I talk about my company all the time. It's, it's my job. Um, you know, and, and people that you wouldn't think from all walks of life have some opinion about sustainable fashion. And that's, that's heartwarming to me as well. I'm sure you, on some level you would like to see as, as we all sort of would in this, this realm of fashion and, and luxury and, and any kind of manufacturing, the more companies that regardless of what industry they're in that got on board with making things sustainably, the more, you know, the more of a big step that would be to preserve the planet for the future. Uh, 
I mean, do you foresee if a realistic future where most companies are significantly more than right now or are getting on the sustainable bandwagon? Do you, is that the way you see things heading? Uh, I wish I could say yes. Um, I, I think that there'll always, there'll always be a customer that, um, you know, really all they care about is the bottom line is, is, you know, buying a, uh, a product that, you know, is, is budget friendly and, you know, without getting, you know, too into the nitty gritty of, of politics or, you know, economies and stuff, you know, there's, there's a lot of poverty and, you know, not everybody has the, you have to, the way the world is right now, you have to have a decent amount of expendable income to be able to monetarily care about the environment. And, uh, without some kind of government intervention or some kind of change in the way that money is distributed, I don't really foresee that changing um, completely. Uh, I I think that you know the the movement is growing and that's giving me that makes me really happy and it gives me kind of hope for the future. But I I don't think that it'll ever be. Um, I hate to be a pessimist, but I don't think it'll ever be the majority of customers that care about this stuff. I think it'll it'll always be a growing niche. Well, if it takes intervention from governing bodies to to force it even more to force things even more sustainable in a big way, like yeah, it just it just makes you wish we had a way to we had an idea we could snap our fingers and have an idea to kind of get everyone on board. Yeah, what what change? I mean, yeah, what can I guess I've sort of already asked, but I, I don't know what what will change people's minds. Uh I mean. Unfortunately, more catastrophes like, uh, you know, as as global warming becomes more evident, I think, you know, that that'll force a lot of people's eyes open. And, and you know, it it may be too late in a lot of ways, but I think that it will we're a we're a very resourceful species. Um, and there's already some good tech going on of, about, you know, trying to recapture some carbon. You know, there's some promising things about, you know, cleaning up the the giant plastic patch in the, in the Pacific. Um, not, not all the news is bad news. Um, but I, to, to your point, I, I do think that it will, it'll take some form of, of big government intervention, which, you know, some people might not th- see as a good thing, um, uh, it, to, to really stem the tide. Um, but I think it'll just, it'll take consumers, you know, changing behavior in mass. Like, um, is it is it possible, or would it be possible in the future to take waste from places like the like the patch of trash in the Pacific and make that into clothes again? Uh, not or with whatever. the current technology that we have. Um, you know, clothing is you want it to be uniform, um, and I didn't even mean to make a pun there, but there I did. <laughs> um, you want you know you don't want one section of it to to be softer than the other, weaker than the other, and um, you know if the the trash one of the big problems about you know plastic going out to to sea is that it pretty quickly turns into microplastics and um and they take you know thousands millions of years to completely go away but if you were to take that with the current technology we have and technology is is moving really quickly it wouldn't really make a durable product um you know you would have sections of it since it had been out to sea for so long and had kind of you know weathered away and, and kind of, uh, you know, kind of turned into a, a sludge, it wouldn't make for a great t-shirt. But, uh, I know there's a couple companies in, in North Carolina that are, are kind of trying to work on, you know, u- ways for plastic water bottles that aren't an A grade to be turned into, um, 
to be turned into usable fabrics and, and other products. So the, the future seems to be bright there. Well, <clears throat> besides, I mean, besides just being, you know, planet positive in general and, and starting a company that manufactures sustainably are there like sort of like with how Tesla's, I don't know if they still do that, do this, but you know, I remember hearing one of the, I mean, one of the great things about that car, for instance, is that I think if you got one, right, like you get a certain tax benefit or something for being mm-hmm. zero carbon emissions. Like when a company starts up now, that's totally sustainable. Are there government incentives that sort of reward them for that? Uh, if there are, please email me. Yeah, I would love yeah. to know about them. Um, I would email you, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that would be that would be great, right? Like, yeah. you would think, yeah, there and, should be incentive. And maybe even there could be, you know, in, incentives on, you know, some kind of rebates whenever you do things with your clothing um, that, that are sustainable. Like, uh, you know, they, our, our power company, um, you know, gives us rebates for... Um, for weatherproofing our homes or for, for switching. Um, they do do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, this, they've, this is probably, you know, a few years back, but you know, if you went from, you know, the traditional light bulb into like an led or a, a more, um, you know, like less, a, a, a light bulb that used less energy, they would give you refunds and, and rebates and stuff like that. And, uh, when I lived in Boston, they, uh, they gave us a, a rebate on upgrading our air conditioner to something that, that had a, a higher efficiency. So, you know, that, that, that's an instance where, you know, perhaps the government could, could offer tax breaks, incentives, you know, uh, write-offs for you making more sustainable jewelry or, or clothing choices. Who yeah. knows? Why, why should people shop with Pistol Lake if you had to kind of encapsulate it? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think it's, it's the, the most comfortable, versatile product that you can buy for yourself. And our customer service is great. You know, it's, it's not going to it's not going to deteriorate on you in six months or even a year. And if for some reason it does, we'll give you a new one. Um, we at, treat our, our customers and our, uh, our entire staff ethically. Um, you know, everybody has a safe place to work. Um, everybody's health is, is taken care of. And, you know, that's... Customers definitely start caring about the things that, that we stand for as a company, maybe after their, their second purchase. But I think the first purchase is just really like, this is the most versatile, comfortable you know, piece of clothing that, that you can buy for yourself. And I legit believe that. I was a, I was a, a customer and um, you know, backer of the company long before I ever thought in a million years that I would work there, let alone run the thing. It was my favorite clothing brand. Oh, great. I think it's the men's warehouse or something, or maybe it's one of the a, uh, a hair cream or something. But it's I'm not only a, uh, a customer, a cust- I'm also a client. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so that's that, you know it's it's good enough for all of us to wear. So yeah, that's the that's the I think that's like spray on hair or whatever. Yeah, I gotta yeah. get some of that. <laughs> maybe you guys could do that sustainably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's our next big thing: spray on hair. Now I want. Now I can't think of the men's warehouse one. It's something like, uh, like it'll look good on you yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll get that in the comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll tell us we're idiots for not knowing uh, this really well-known phrase. Well, this has been great. I think, yeah, and I think uh, I wouldn't worry about the nerding out in, in, at any point that we might have done. So I think people on Reddit will appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are my dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, so everyone check out uh, Pistol Lake, and it's is it what's the website address? Pistollake.com. Well, there.
there you have it. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope you've enjoyed this series. I know I loved talking to Ryan. I feel I learned so much, and I hope you did too. And don't get things twisted just in case. There's so much hope for brands to become sustainable in all areas of manufacturing, and for more people to learn about and desire this change as well. And of course, one benefit Culture Diamonds and Stones have is that Lark and Barry are able to implement the fairest prices in luxury, and certainly versus Mine Diamonds jewelry. That's because with Culture, there's no need to ever mine again. It's just better for the planet to go cultured, and you're getting the very same diamonds and stones when you do, or even better. As Claire Hoppy from LA Relax told us in the first episode of this series, we just need more material manufacturers, for one, to adopt sustainable methods, and then the prices can come down in sustainable fashion as well. But in the meantime, please research sustainable fashion brands. While it might be true that some clothes from a brand like Pistol Lake are a bit more expensive than what you'd find at fast fashion retailers, the extra money, if you have it, goes towards things like buying the most environmentally responsible clothes for Earth. It goes towards supporting fair wages for employees at a small company. It goes towards doing something right for our planet. So check out Pistol Lake's online store. That's P-I-S-T-O-L-L-A-K-E, all one word. And follow them on Instagram, at Pistol Lake. Lark and Barry wants everyone to learn more about culture diamonds, the more environmentally responsible option in diamonds. We want everyone to know that you have a choice now in buying luxury jewelry, and that there is only one choice that's truly sustainable for the future, and that's culture jewelry, whether it's diamonds, emeralds, or sapphires. Subscribe to The Diamond Disruptor on your chosen platform for podcasts, and please rate and review us. Go to larkandberry.com to shop. And follow Lark and Barry on social media at Lark and Barry.